What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Golf on Tap. Today, we'll be discussing Jake Knapp's win at the Mexico Open, outdoing, outdueling, excuse me, Sammy Valimaki on the back nine. The 29-year-old entered Sunday with a four-shot lead, but it got hairy for him early on Sunday. We'll also be discussing Anthony Kim's comeback at Jetta this week for Live Golf. We'll also break down Taylor Gooch's interesting comments that he made here this afternoon. Some thoughts on uh, the Charlie Woods drama surrounding his pre-qualifier for the Cognizant Classic. And of course, this week's Cognizant Classic at PGA National. Got a lot of good stuff to be getting into. Everyone out there who's tuning in. First off, thank you for all your support. Make sure to go and jump into the YouTube feed of this so you can interact with all of us throughout the episode. Let us know your thoughts on Jake Knapp's win, uh, Anthony Kim coming back, maybe some players you're targeting for this week's Cognizant Classic. Make sure to go and do that. We greatly appreciate you all interacting with us. As always, I'm Jack Bushman, joined by Ross Barron. Ross, we got a lot to get into here today, brother, but before we do, how are you doing this afternoon? Busy week for us, man. I stayed busy at the clinic today, but was excited to jump back on, get back in our normal routine after yesterday's episode with Mark. Get in our normal routine, talk some more golf, and talk nap time. Yeah, I'm very, very, very sad that I did not end up betting on Jake Knapp. And for anyone who's watching this or listening to this right now, if you tuned into last week's show, Jake Knapp was actually someone that Ross shouted out when we were scouting uh, the players in the field, and I was asking him which guys he felt like had a good chance this week. Jake Knapp was someone who he brought up, and when he did that, my eyes got super wide because he actually was someone I was really targeting going into the week, uh, but I didn't end up betting him for whatever reason. Just throughout the course of the next couple of days, I was running my models, taking in a bunch of information, and that sadly led me elsewhere and led me to not having any money in my Betting accounts come Sunday afternoon. I was very upset. And to make matters worse, Ross, um, before we even did the show last week, it was actually before um, before the Genesis had wrapped up. I texted my buddies who I bet on golf with every week in our group chat. I texted them before the Genesis had even wrapped up. I'm really interested in Jake Knapp next week. And Again, for whatever reason, didn't end up pulling the trigger on him. But yeah, what an incredible performance out of Jake Knapp. But uh, it did get a little bit sketchy for him down the stretch on Sunday. He was absolutely lights out, Ross, um, from tee to green Friday and Saturday and was making his putts. I even saw some people posting on social media saying, uh, for those who have been wondering what it looks like for Scotty Scheffler to actually make putts, take a look at what Jake Knapp is doing right now at Vedanta Vallarta. He was incredible in the second and third rounds, but didn't have his A game on Sunday. He bogeyed two of the first three holes to cut that four-shot lead that he started the day with down to one shot in a hurry. Sammy Valimaki was on his heels, but never could really get it going when he had an opportunity to. Uh, it also felt like me personally, Jake Knapp got all of the breaks while Sammy Valimaki didn't get any, but regardless how the job got done, Jake Knapp, the 29 year old rookie pulls through for his first PGA tour victory. Ross, what were your thoughts on Jake Knapp nap time throughout the course of the event and uh, how he came through on Sunday, despite not having his best stuff. So I think one of the most interesting things about, did you, did you see the final stat for him winning on Sunday? How many fairways he hit? Two. In the, in, two. 
He hit two fairways in the in the final round to wrap this up and get his first PGA win. But the funny thing is, um, he did an interview on Smiley Kaufman's show a couple of weeks back, and one of Smiley's questions he asked him is, you know, with your with your game, everything, are you gonna go play in Mexico? And he said, yeah, that he had it circled. He looked at the previous winners and he thought his game matched up. And Smiley basically told him, just go down there and fucking rip it because you don't have to hit a fairway. You just have to bomb it. And the difference is going to be when other guys are hitting a five and six iron in, you're going to be hitting an eight and nine. Yeah, and that's kind of the method that we've seen at Vedanta in terms of the winners the last couple of years. Yeah, previous to this, it was John Rahm and Tony Finau, the two best players in the field. But what do they do? They absolutely bomb it off of the tee in with these 40-yard wide fairways plus very benign fairway rough. Distance really is everything on this course. And Jake Knapp certainly has a lot of distance. The ball speed is remarkable. Uh, and it feels like that's, even though he's 29 years old, that's kind of like the new standard for guys emerging on the PGA Tour. You just see a lot of them hitting the ball further than it's ever been hit. And yeah, Jake Knapp, I believe he led the field in driving distance this week, averaging 300, over 320 yards per drive, which is just incredible. But yeah, didn't need to uh, hit fairways down the stretch. He had the uh, the double miss going on. He was missing left. He was missing right, but what was really sharp for him and what actually ended up winning him this tournament, Ross, was his short game. Uh, the up and downs that he made while Sammy Valimaki wasn't able to take advantage and make some birdies in those closing holes. Jake Knapp really just needed to not lose any strokes, and you know he kept missing greens and leaving himself little delicate pitches that you know really aren't all that tough for the standard PGA Tour player. But given the circumstances and everything involved in winning a golf tournament, made it certainly a little bit more difficult. But every time, man, he was nails with the short game and with the putter. That's really what won him this event yeah i, I mean it, it became it became clear um i <clears throat> i think one one i don't know if you noticed but when they were coming down the back nine there there were times where you could see sammy looking at jake and trying to figure out essentially what had what jake had lined up for for his putt and you could see sammy like the wheels turning in his head on I think I have to do something a little more drastic here because Jake has that. Yeah, I was, man, I, I really thought it was going to be Sammy Valimaki's day, the way that Jake Knapp was hitting the ball from tee to green, but it, it, it felt like he was almost missing that killer instinct a little bit. And to be fair, he is also a PGA Tour rookie who doesn't have a boatload of experience. I'm sure the emotions were running high for him in those moments as well, but there was even that, I, I want to say it was on 16 where Jake Knapp had missed the green. Sammy Valley, Sammy Valimaki was on um, and he could have elected to go first and put the pressure on Jake Knapp a little bit for his chip. But instead he just let Jake Knapp go first and Knapp put it to like four feet, basically ensuring that he was going to make par. And it felt like there was no opportunity. Like Sammy, if he was, look, this is not a fair comparison, but the Tiger Woods mindset that it feels like you need to win golf courses. It felt like that kind of eluded him. Like he wasn't the alpha. He wasn't the aggressor down the stretch. And I really think that's what cost him because it was there for the taking the way that Knapp was playing, but Valimaki just couldn't come through in the clutch. 
Yeah, I'm actually really glad that you brought that up because that was one of the examples where, you know, big big time moments come from big time plays and big and a big time mentality. And in that moment, you had the complete reverse where you were expecting Sammy Velamaki is away on that hole, even though Jake Knapp is off the green. Sammy Velamaki is away and naturally has the right to go first. And Jake Knapp just walked up there like, fuck it, I'm going to go. Yeah, and then you're right. and, and, and and Sammy Velamaki just kind of sat there like, oh, oh, okay, I, I I guess, and then he and then of course he hits the chip to like a foot, and then you see all the life drained from Sammy Velamaki that I mean I probably should have went first and put the pressure on him, and and now and now he's gonna walk up, he's gonna tap this in, he's gonna he's gonna essentially birdie this hole, and I'm struggling here for maybe a par. Yeah, and it. It was a long birdie opportunity for Valamaki that, you know, didn't really have much of an opportunity to go in. But if he puts that to two or three feet, all of a sudden you're making Jake Knapp think a little bit more. And even the NBC Sports broadcasters, and I forget exactly who it was that was down on the course following that final pairing for the Sunday round. But they even said there was no conversation between Valamaki and and Jake Knapp there. Um, Jake Knapp just kind of took charge. He was going first and. Look, again, I don't know if Jake Knapp necessarily had the alpha mentality down the stretch with the way his game was, but in what felt like it could have been a crucial moment, um, Jake Knapp was the one who kind of instigated the dance, if you will, and I don't think that's surprising considering how the tournament wound uh, finished out. Yeah, no, it, it definitely felt like one of those momentum swings where Sammy really did have the opportunity there. And Jake Knapp just kind of stepped in, stepped up to the ball and hit it and slammed the door shut. Like any chance you had is gone now. And what what also really surprised me about the ending of this tournament, Ross, was that no one else pressed Jake Knapp and Sammy Valimaki. And I I understand, again, that Knapp had a four-shot lead over Valimaki and then a seven-shot lead over anybody else. But Knapp was 19 under going into the final round, and he won this tournament at 19 under. And... Mexico is, uh, Vedanta is a gettable course. I know the Sunday pin locations are always the hardest, but, you know, Chan Kim ended up shooting even. He was one of those guys at 12 under to start the day. Uh, Eric Van Ruyen was at 11 under. He only shot one under in the final round. Henrik Norlander was kind of there. Like, no one really made that late charge to put extra pressure on both of those guys in. That, that kind of surprised me a little bit. I, I expected that Sunday was going to be a, a two-horse race between Knapp and Valimaki in that final pairing because I assumed, like you said before we recorded, based on how they had played up to that point, I figured one of them was at least going to shoot minus two or minus three, take advantage of the par fives and get out of dodge with the victory. But considering that all Jake Knapp had to do was shoot even to end up winning this tournament, that kind of caught me a little bit by surprise, Ross. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think it, this is one of the one of those tournaments that it was kind of apparent. You know, Sammy went really low on, on Saturday. Jake Knapp went low on Saturday. They kind of separated themselves from the field. And it, the overall vibe I was getting was, you know, th- this is going to be a two-horse race going into Sunday. I don't re- – just everyone kind of stayed put on Saturday. No one really made a huge jump aside from the two of them, where it really did feel like this was going to be one of the first tournaments of the year where you could circle the final pairing. Like the, the winner is coming from there. I, I'm not, I 
wouldn't wasn't going to be surprised to see someone come up and make some noise, but it w- it was going to be the final group falling back down to earth for someone to catch them. But you essentially, we knew the winner was coming from the final pair. What was more perplexing overall was just like you said, the fact that Jake Knapp shot even. You, you know, they they didn't go they didn't go low. They didn't. They're not both up, you know, 24 under, whatever, ma- making a run for it. Like, they just kind of stayed put and no, and were <clears throat> ideally, what you thought if you had known that going into Sunday, you would expect someone to make noise and come up and try and try. But just no one took advantage of it. No one was able to play that course the way and take advantage of the length. And the fact that it's basically a wide open field, just knock it the hell down there. There, even if it's not in the fairway, you're gonna have a great look up, up to the hole. And just no one was able to take advantage of it. Everyone just kind of stayed put, and even the leaders stayed put. And I would probably attribute that to the strength of the field that was had this week, considering probably one of the weakest that we'll see on the PGA Tour schedule this year. Um, Those guys that were in contention, not exactly top of the line PGA Tour players. So not guys that you could maybe pencil in to make a late Sunday charge. But yeah, surprised that one of them didn't go low in in the slightest. But yeah, Jake Knapp, man, an impressive victory. I know a lot of people are uh, super excited for his future now. I I am curious, has your opinion of Jake Knapp changed at all after this week? Because um, on gambling social media, on gambling X, I was about to call it gambling Twitter. Gambling Twitter sounds so much better, by the way. I saw some people posting like, oh, I'm going to go bet Jake Knapp to go and win the PGA championship now or, or stuff like that. And yeah, it's incredible that he led the field from uh, in terms of strokes gained approach and strokes gained off of the tee. Do you feel any differently about Jake Knapp now that he's actually won an event at all, Ross? I'm more confident in him because you and I have kind of noticed, you know, the first several events, he's a rookie. Literally just got his card off Corn Ferry. We have a limited sample size, but you and I have chatted about him in the past that his game is impressive. His swing is beautiful. That like that that thing, if you are trying to fix your golf swing and find a standard, watch Jake Knapp's swing. It it is just absolutely immaculate. I think there's more confidence now because he checked off that box. I got there. I won an event on tour. I'm a PGA winner. I don't know if that's immediately going to translate going into these next huge tournaments. I think we're going to see some consistency. I think he's going to make noise being, you know, that middle, middle upper tier of the board somewhere in that seven to 15 range. I'm not going to be surprised to see him consistently sit there. And maybe later as we swing, make the swing into the late spring, the early summer, when we have some of those mid-tier events again, I wouldn't be surprised to see him come up and nab like one of those and maybe lock a win or two down at some of those lower-tier events. In terms of the big-tier events, maybe a top 10 at one, one of the majors, you know, make, make some noise. I don't think it's all going to come full, full circle in this season. I do really like the game and the ability that he has. I just don't know if it's all there yet, but I do think this is going to be a huge confidence boost in the game. And he essentially knows he can compete. 
Yeah, I kind of feel the same way about it. I don't know if he's ready to contend for a major championship or anything uh, anything along those lines, but that winds up being the case. We'll certainly be here for it. We're big Jake Knapp fans. And what I also love to see out of Jake Knapp, you know, I, I loved him before. I was already on the bandwagon. I love the flow that he's got going on. I, I love the vibes that he brings and the mentality that he has. I also love to see him celebrating after the win, shotgun, shotgun some brujas with the fine folks in attendance at Vedanta Vallarta following his victory. I thought that was pretty hilarious. And just showing uh, the friendly and fun side of Jake Knapp. Well, I mean, I, I love the hockey jersey. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, you, you you and I are definitely hockey guys on, on the side, too. I love the fact that <clears throat> he's sponsored by the Anaheim Ducks. The Anaheim Ducks are one of his are one of his sponsors. It, it's one of those weird, crazy things, just like when you look at, you know, Cameron Young every weekend, you go out and there's a huge Major League Baseball patch on a, on a golf shirt. It's just another one of those funny, crazy things that I just love that there's another pro team that's just invested in this guy because they they dig the vibes just as much as we do. So I am a huge I am a huge nap time fan. I think it's going to be exciting moving into the summer to continue to watch him grow. And he's another one of the guys that, you know, kind of fits that Wyndham Clark mold from last year where come and you get an event really early and we'll see where it springs into the summer. And when we move, you know, maybe competitive enough that if he keeps playing the way he's playing, maybe, maybe he's one of those people at the end of the year that's in contention for a potential, you know, President's Cup pick. I actually think that's a, a rather interesting comparison you make about uh, Wyndham Clark because, funny enough, I bet Wyndham Clark last year at the Mexico Open, I figured he would be a great course fit. I might have even used him as my one and done last year that I do with uh, Joey Ricotta. Um, but yeah, ended up not winning that event, but won a couple of weeks later, of course, at the Wells Fargo championship. So yeah, who knows what could happen with Jake Knapp. And you mentioned the Anaheim Ducks sponsorship. That's a little bit of a, of a double, double whammy for me, because for anyone who knows me, I'm a really big hockey guy and, uh, loved that Jake Knapp was sponsored by the Ducks. I was actually talking with my buddy about it a couple of weeks ago during the Waste Management Phoenix Open when they were showing some Jake Knapp highlights. I was like, you know, that guy's sponsored by the Anaheim Ducks. And to make it even worse, Ross, Sammy Valimaki's got a hockey connection as well as uh, I believe it's his, his cousin, cousin plays for the Arizona Coyotes. You so Valimaki. And I'm like, dude, we got two hockey guys in contention. Uh, I'm a big hockey guy myself, and I don't have money on either of them when I mentioned both of of them on the show last week it was I'm not gonna lie to you Ross it was a bit painful to watch that on Sunday knowing I had interest in both of them but ended up with money on neither it really stunk hey you know we are we are a team here so we can chalk it up that golf on tap officially has one outright on the season so <laughs> there you go <laughs> Yeah, there you go. We need we need them where we can get them right now because your boy is cold as ice. The only other outright uh, we have this year was from Joey. He hit an outright on uh, Wyndham Clark at Pebble Beach, and that event didn't even go into Sunday. So who knows if Wyndham Clark would have actually – yeah, who would have actually known if he closed that thing out? But hopefully I'll be able to get back on track this week for the Cognizant Classic. We'll get there in just a moment, folks. But uh, what I wanted to talk for a moment about next, Ross, is the Anthony Kim comeback. It's real. It's actually happening. We've heard whispers of this over the last couple of weeks that he could possibly be uh, the mystery man into the tournament at Jeddah this week. 
We saw a promotional video that Liv put out yesterday. And yeah, Anthony Kim making his comeback this week after a long hiatus. A guy who was a fan favorite at a young age when he burst onto the PGA Tour. Beat Sergio Garcia um, at, at the Ryder Cup. Um someone that a lot of people were thinking was going to have a very bright career ahead of him and then just kind of fell off the face of the earth for like a decade there. But now he's officially back playing for Live Golf. There's that conflict um, in terms of his uh, the clause that's in his contract. If he were ever come back to the PGA Tour, Live Golf makes a lot of sense for him. Your thoughts on Anthony Kim coming back this week, Ross? I love Anthony Kim being back in the game. Because it's been, it's literally been 12 years. The only thing is, I'm just not interested in how it's kind of being set up. They're, they're playing at Jeddah. They're playing in another time zone. This is going to be through the middle of the night. It's not really going to be broadcast. Most of our comeback, everything that you and I specifically are going to follow, because obviously we're going to follow it. it we're going to get it through like X and Facebook and news like that, that, oh, Anthony Kim makes his return and shot one over in the first round of the of the live event, whatever. The setup is just making it really hard for me to be excited about it. We're like, I get it that they want to do it sooner than later and get and give him a trial. I just think the event that they pick doesn't line up for if you want that exposure and you want that injection into your tour, you know, and I get it's waiting another month, but in a month they're in fucking Miami, man. Like why the, the market you're attempting to get is the, the United States, right? Like that they're there. That is where the Anthony Kim market is. Why not wait till that event where, you know, it's in South beach it's on the courses there. Everyone will tune into that event because it's the return of AK. This, no, we're, we're going to do it in Jetta. And a lot of people are going to, the diehard lit golfers guys are going to watch on YouTube and watch on the CW at four o'clock in the morning to, you know, watch, watch Anthony Kim probably post like somewhere I'm guessing between uh 69 and 74. <laughs> Yeah, it. I'm certainly excited for Anthony Kim making his return, but it's not going to make me turn on the television at, like you said, 4 a.m. or go on YouTube or wherever Liv is going to be streamed at that point in time. Um, yeah, it's just not going to make me. It's not going to make me change my my schedule about it. I'll go and you know find out how he's doing the following morning, seeing stuff on social media and the post and all that. But yeah, I did think it was rather weird timing as well. I'm pretty surprised they didn't do it in Vegas a couple of weeks ago because could you imagine if Anthony Kim made his return in Las Vegas ahead of Super Bowl Sunday? That that could have potentially stealing, stolen a little bit of thunder out of the Waste Management Phoenix Open for sure, especially with the, the weather stuff that was going on there. Like That could have been a huge opportunity for Liv. Oh, I, ab- absolutely. I, and there, this is, I, I love Anthony Kim. I am excited that Anthony Kim is making a return to the game. We're going to get to see him play. I just feel like the, the ball has kind of been dropped in this return. I think there was better events. I, I mean, like, like I said, if you, if you wait four weeks, they're, they're in Miami, man. But the, Makes so much it, more it, sense. 
it, it just it just makes so much more sense, especially for we know what target market you're going for. You're trying to get the U.S. market because live live is big overseas. I'm I'm not going to discount that. You know, over overseas they have a following that that people pick up on that and pay attention. They're trying to draw more into the U.S. market and especially a former Ryder Cup hero for the U.S. team. It just seemed like that was such a better fit to make your announcement and build up to. Not that, not like we said, the we're gonna. I'm not gonna turn on Jetta at three or four o'clock in the morning to watch Anthony Kim post it, go anywhere from. I don't know. Maybe we'll see a nice three under. Maybe we'll see a couple over. Whatever it is, he works out the kinks. But uh, it's that's not enough for me to wake up in the middle of the night. Sorry. Yeah, no, not at all. If we get Anthony Kim in contention or something, maybe that'll move the needle a little bit. But um, yeah, we'll see what happens with Anthony Kim and his return this week at Jeddah. That gets underway uh, on Thursday. Um, speaking of live golf, Ross, Taylor Gooch was in the golf headlines today for making some kind of interesting comments and then continuing to double down on his antics when it really felt like he, he should have just kept his yap or shut. You kind of want to take it over. Uh, take over and discuss the the saga that was going on with Taylor Gooch today. I know you were fully intertwined into that. So I watched this from first thing this morning to when it broke. And I just progressively watched Taylor Gooch dig himself deeper and deeper in a hole and just not back down and chirping at everyone trying to come back because he made, he, I mean, I get it. You, you want to be outspoken because you're not in the masters and but the comment of if Rory wins the Masters this year and completes the career Grand Slam, that there has to be an asterisk on this because the best players are not all in the field. Yeah. Only to have the internet sleuths go and basically prove him wrong in a matter of minutes for the fact that there are 12 active live golf players currently participating in the Masters, which is actually almost a quarter of live golf's members are in the event the only member not in the event that is in the world top 50 is taylor gooch so this is taylor gooch basically saying if rory wins the masters and completes the career grand slam it's not because live golfers weren't present it's because i wasn't there and i didn't get a chance yeah, it sounds like these three wins last year that Taylor Gooch had on Live Golf is kind of getting to his head here. I think Buddy forgets his only career PGA Tour victory occurred at the RSM Classic during the fall swing when uh, if you're actually one of the best players in the world, you're not playing during then. So, yeah, I don't really know what Taylor Gooch's strategy was. I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure his PR team wasn't very happy with those antics because it only ended up making himself look foolish and by debunking everything that he was said that he said which the internet always does he basically made it seem like he said if Rory McIlroy doesn't win the grand slam because i'm not there it's not going to count it's like taylor gooch buddy who do you think you are and he only has himself to blame for not being in the masters he didn't make any of the attempts and we have this conversation time and time again going to live golf getting your bag I understand it, but if you're not going to play in DP or Asian tour events or find other opportunities to get the qualifying points to get yourselves into those tournaments, I'm, I'm just not going to feel bad for you. And Taylor Gooch, uh, 
I don't really know what he expected to get out of this conversation. Did he like actually, did he actually think people were going to side up with him and be like, Hmm, yeah, that guy actually does have a point. If Rory wins the masters this year, I don't know if I'm going to take it seriously. Like what are, what are we talking about? No, it's, it's absolutely asinine. And it, it just got worse and worse for him. And like you said, he only had the only person he can blame is himself because the masters is its own entity. They make their own invites. And one thing that they made very apparent with is that they didn't want to fully discriminate with live golf. They, they encouraged players, you know, I know you can't get points in OWGR because of live, but we, but if you go and play alternate events, AKA go play the Asian tour, the DP world tour, when you can, as long as you perform there, that is going to be on our radar and you can get, you can get an extension and an invite to, to our tournament. There are multiple players on the live tour that have not even won a live tour event that are in the masters because they went and they played the Asian tour. They played the DP world tour. They played several events. They finished in the top 10 and they won a couple of them. Taylor Gooch attempted to play one event outside the live tour last season. He finished tied for 46. I'm sorry, Taylor, you fucking did it to yourself. Case closed. End of story. Better luck next year. Boom. That's the judge hitting the table with the gavel, as I think we all probably feel the same way that this wasn't the wisest decision by Taylor Gooch. Um, Live golf this weekend. If you enjoy waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning, hats off to you. Hope it's a good tournament. Hope it goes well for everybody. Um, Moving on from Live Golf, though, I feel next, we only have to talk about this for a brief moment, Ross, but we've kind of discussed this. Uh, behind the camera in the last couple of days, the Charlie Woods stuff with him attempting to uh, pre-qualify for the 2024 Cognizant Classic, it felt like it really got blown out of proportion. I even had people, especially the coverage on Charlie, the PGA Tour sending camera crews out there to go and film him walking into the tournament, felt like a little bit much there. And when, when he ended up shooting that uh, 12 over par round, I, I even had non-golf fans like sliding into my DMs and like posting or, or like sending that to me and being like, this isn't very good, is it? And that's like, that's the sad reaction that people are getting from this because they don't realize it's a 15-year-old playing a professional setup against other professionals, but the way the PGA Tour pumps it out to everybody feels like everyone's expecting Charlie Woods to already be capable of going and competing on the PGA Tour. It's a, a reminder that it is a, a sad world that we live in sometimes. At least that's the way I felt based on how they were treating Charlie in this event and the reactions following that round. Yeah, honestly, you know, I was excited because it's the Cub. The, and you love Charlie Woods. He's so entertaining when he's with his dad and he's it, and he's in all the AMs, everything, everything, and just like celebrity tournaments. This was just supposed to be for fun. Let him have a crack at it. He, he's just trying. We're, we're just going to make an attempt. We're going to see. And this turned into such a fucking circus that... By early morning prior to the round, I was already scared for him. Like, this is being blown up so so out of proportion. He's just trying to play golf and do his own thing. And then, 
you know, it, it got worse. And when you read through the reports that people are going over the ropes, they're going out onto the course because they want to be close to Charlie, disregarding security, everything. He hits a ball off into the rough and into the bushes. People are diving in the bushes, trying to find the ball and pocket it because they want a souvenir. It's got people screaming at him because he won't sign his dad's book in the middle of the round when he's on a tee box. And it just turned into such a circus show where if I'm Tiger and like, this might just be the dad in me. If I'm Tiger, I'm with being the ambassador for the PGA tour. I am. I'd be contacting the PGA tour and say, never fucking do that again. Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And look, Charlie's life is, always going to be difficult because who his dad is that part feel all the way feel all the ways you want to about it that sadly is just going to be a reality for the rest of his life people are going to be looking at him like he's the next big thing or just always wanting to get a piece of him or get close to him or just have those interactions and whatnot but there is a, a line that it feels like as human beings that moral line that still has to be respected. And it felt like this went above and beyond that. And I think you're absolutely right. Tiger Woods with the outreach and the respect that he commands and, you know, his legendary status, it feels like at some point in time, especially as Charlie continues to go through the ranks and hits that next level, goes and plays college golf or whatever his next step may be. It, it feels like it's only going to get ramped up the like closer and closer he gets to potentially being a pro. If that winds up being the case, we certainly don't know. I'd love that to happen, but golf's a crazy game. It, it feels like it's only going to be tougher and tougher for him. And I do wonder if at some point in time, like, how Tiger's going to go about this, how Stephen golf courses are going to handle this because it feels like it's going to be insanity whenever Charlie Woods is playing big-time golf. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I absolutely think that you hit nail on the head that this is, this is Charlie. Charlie is the son of quite literally the GOAT. Charlie's trying to find his own way. And what I think a lot of people don't realize is Charlie is so young, but expectations are so high that no one actually realizes there's a very, very probable and real chance that Charlie never even makes the PGA tour. Right. And people don't even the consider game is, that. The, the, the game is so hard to be successful and make it this far there is a very realistic chance that charlie woods never plays on the pga tour at all and i i think it's just we everyone needs to tone it the hell down bring it back he's 15 this is a game he he loves and he likes to play but if this continues to happen when he goes to do these things that he likes and he makes strides in his own game and makes his own attempts if he gets pushed to the edge and these things happen there's a very good chance you're going to ruin it for him before he even gets close. And he just says, I'm done. Yeah. And I think that's yeah a realization that people need to have is the kid can't even drive yet. He's 15 years old and the expectations are so outrageous and people fall out of love for all of people fall out of love with golf for a lot of different reasons. And they, you know, have the game, even like what Mark was telling us yesterday, the guy who he witnessed shoot, uh, the best round that he's ever seen at Whistling Straits, quick plug. 
he said, you know, that guy was a division one golfer, one of the better players on his team. He just didn't have it mentally. He didn't love the travel. He didn't love the grind. And there are lots of different things that come with professional golf that maybe people don't realize and um, kind of leads to people struggling throughout that process as they're trying to take that next step. Who knows what all of this pressure and everything is going to do for Charlie Woods and his psyche because like it's, it's just some tough shoes to walk and having your dad be tiger. You're also playing golf. People are just going to assume you're maybe not going to be as good, but at least going to be a stud. And who knows if that's even going to be the case with Charlie. We don't know because again, he's only 15 years old and that doesn't really tell you anything. And we've seen some of the best collegiate golfers, struggle on the PGA tour. Justin Suh is someone who was in that conversation with Victor Hovland and Colin Morikawa coming out. He's struggled thus far. Patrick Rogers was a stud at Stanford. He's still looking for his PGA tour win. Golf is, is you, not a linear path. It. It's not a linear you, path. And just because you're good now doesn't mean anything. You literally gave the perfect example that I was hoping you were going to hit Patrick Rogers. Patrick Rogers in college came up with that group of Justin of Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, the supposed to be the next level of PGA Tour superstar. Two of them came out and we can look, you know, 12 years later, unbelievable careers. Golf Hall of Famers based on what they've done. Patrick Rogers still looking for his first win. Yeah. It's a crazy game, man. That's how it be sometimes. Just because you're good now does not guarantee you anything. Not even years in the future. A couple weeks in the future, man. The, the turnarounds and the spirals that happen in this game. It's just, it's part of it. But, I, I mean, but I guess you can also have to put the vice versa that good things can happen late. A.K. Jake Knapp being 29. I've, I've seen people go, 20, 29, you really think he can be a PGA superstar? Um. Uh, I would just like to point out VJ Singh didn't win his first PGA event until after the age of 30. It's certainly possible. I'm not going to go and call Jake Knapp a potential superstar just yet, but I will say his game is rather impressive. He's got the goods. Not only did he win Mexico, but he also contended earlier on in the season at Torrey Pines and played well at some of the big boy events. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens for him. Going to be interesting to see what happens these next couple of years with Charlie Woods, certainly as he begins to creep into those upper teenage years. Uh, I'm sure the pressure is going to be a lot on him and how he handles it is, is going to be rather interesting. But speaking of the Woods family, Ross, just for a quick second here before we get into the Cognizant Classic, we thought maybe this could have been a spot for Tiger Woods or um, maybe he's just going to wait until the players. It's not even confirmed that he's going to be there yet. When do you expect to see Big Cat back on the course? I think we're going to see the players. I I, I, I just have a feeling. I, it's too widely spread and talked about. There are too many golf personalities out there that constantly mention this that I, I feel like it's almost a setback for him if he doesn't go at this point. And I think that would be an indicator as well that the flu wasn't what actually 
forced him to withdraw from the Genesis Invitational. If he is able to play at the players, I think that's a pretty good sign that his body's feeling good. He's physically able to withstand. And two, we don't even know if he's able to withstand 72 holes because we didn't get to see it at Riviera, but definitely would be a positive sign. And I think if he wants to go play the Masters, he, he absolutely has to play at the players or at least one time before the first major of the year because I don't know how he could expect anything good to happen. Yeah, Tiger always makes the cut at Augusta. That that happens, but we know Tiger's mind. He's not just trying to make the cut at Augusta, even if it does seem wild. He still has that belief in himself, and that's what makes him uh, the great of all greats. But it does feel like the players... If it's not going to be at API, which doesn't seem like a good fit for him, it's not this week, as we know. It feels like it has to be the players before the Masters. Yeah, and just the way it's setting up and the way, you know, I, the way he set up how he wants to do his year, I get it. Uh, I, I want to ease myself back, uh, which is already one thing for him to admit. Like, I'm not going to just fully jump back in. Because I'm going to hurt myself. I know I'm going to hurt myself. It's going to be too much. I'm going to play several events over the course of the year, strategically pick them, you know, in, like he said, one a month. So realistically, we're looking eight. Maybe he'll squeeze a ninth event in there. We already we already lost Genesis because, because of illness. It just feels like overall this is going to be a huge setback for this comeback if he does not go play Sawgrass. Yeah, I completely agree. Hopefully we'll be seeing Tiger at TPC Sawgrass here in just a couple of weeks. Hopefully I'll hit a big bet and maybe I'll just go book a flight and buy some tickets to TPC Sawgrass if I hit an outright winner this week, Ross. And I desperately need it, brother, because seriously, since I've kind of been in this game, if you will, for the last three years or so, last year was really when I started going uh, every week and had that belief in myself that I could come out on top. This is the coldest stretch that I've ever been in, man. I didn't hit anything during the FedEx Cup fall, which was really good for me the year prior. And I'm still uh, without a win here in 2024. So hopefully we can get one this week at PGA National, the Cognizant Classic, formerly known as the Honda Classic. I really just want to call it the Honda Classic. But before we get into the, the field and the rundown on PGA National and some players we may like this week, Ross, I think just Honda not being the title sponsor of this event any longer after being the uh, the longest running sponsor on the PGA Tour for 42 years. Honda's not even with the PGA Tour anymore. I, uh, as I wrote in my article breaking down this event, I think that's a pretty strong indication of how things are going for old Jay Monahan and company right now, Ross. Well, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, but it gets even funnier than that. Did you see if you... Google Cognizant Classic, the only thing that pops up all over, all over is it's still the, the Honda Classic logo that yeah. we all, we all, we all know what this is. We're not going to call it that other name, even though they're not paying for it anymore. Yeah. I feel like I almost got to like force it out of my mouth, calling it the Cognizant because Honda, obviously, and I can iconic business partner with the PGA tour, but also Ross, this is one of my favorite events and I really do like the Florida swing. I think they're all difficult golf courses. Uh they require you to be good from T degree and there's a lot of water, a lot of ways to make big numbers. And and that type of carnage 
is what I like watching. I don't like watching these guys go and racking up seven unders after eight unders and the winning scores at minus 25. Yeah, that's awesome that the PGA Tour players can dominate courses like that, but I like to see a true test of golf. And you get that here at PGA National, man. One of the hardest non-major venues on the PGA Tour. It's been the most difficult non-major course in six of the past 10 years. The winning score has eclipsed 10 under in just five of the past 13. There's water everywhere. It comes into play on 15 holes. You got tight fairways, penal fairway and greenside bunkers. Of course, there's the iconic bear trap holes 15 through 17, one of the most grueling three-hole stretches on the PGA Tour. And number six, seven through eight is also another brutal stretch for these players. So Ross, this is these are the types of golf tournaments that I really like watching, even though it is a little bit of a, a lackluster field this week, which isn't surprising because we have two designated events coming up in the API and the players. But, but I personally love this event. I'm really excited for it. And I just enjoy the Florida swing in general. Do you feel the same way? Oh, when when they set the season up to go off to the West Coast and bounce around, by the time when they make this swing, you've been, especially for golf fans like us, that you have to adjust your schedules to they're on the West Coast. It's all happening, ending later. When they make this swing over here and it falls right into your prime time slot, oh, baby, let's go. To me, it, it listen, the Genesis is awesome. Waste Management Phoenix Open, awesome. Torrey Pines, awesome. Now that football's over, this feels like when golf season really starts to me. And it feels like this is when, yeah, everyone's trying to go and win those events early on in the year. I'm not saying that, but it feels like this is really when guys are starting to try and find that peak form leading into Augusta national, which is also starting to creep up to us, Ross. We, I mean, we, we can't mention too much about that because I'll get too excited and we'll go on a <laughs> rant for, for another 30 minutes or so. Because that, because that, that's the one that my my calendar for work is blocked off. Um, I will not be in the office those two days. I will not even be working from home those two days. I, I took those days off. You will, you will not reach me. You will find me. I will be back the Monday after, but Thursday through Sunday, I have dedicated to my couch and Augusta, and that is you, it. You are the man for that. Masters, Masters week is one of my favorite, if not the favorite week of the entire year. And it's funny. It takes me back to my college days, Ross. We had this thing in my fraternity back at college where whenever the Masters was on, we were drinking, um, oh my gosh, the drink is eluding me right now. Holy cow. Wow, this is rather sad. It's going to come to me, but there was a drink that we'd always make and watch it watch it all together in the living room. I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of this right now. That's how you know you're getting old. Been out of college for far too long. But it's just got that nostalgia. It's got that buzz. I won't get too far into it because uh, I know it's still a few weeks away, but certainly looking forward to that. But yeah, this feels like the the real start of the PGA Tour season and when guys are really trying to get their game in the right place. But this week, Ross, we got a couple of the top end guys um, at PGA National. Rory McIlroy, of course, is the one that's going to grab the headlines, the former winner of this tournament. It feels like it's him, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Tom Kim, and then kind of a just a group of past champions like Keith Mitchell, Ricky Fowler, Sepp Straka, uh, Russell Henley is also here. 
it's still an intriguing type of field. And we were even talking yesterday, Ross, like you were looking at this middle range of like maybe guys who are 40 to 60 to one. And I know you're not a big betting guy whatsoever, but there's a lot of intrigue in that range. And I'm just curious um, at the top and out of those guys in that range, were there any in particular that stood out to you? And I got to ask because you're riding the Jake Knapp here, even though you didn't bet on him. a great shout out last week. Who are you liking this week as we kind of creep into the tournament? <clears throat> so I have looked at this. I actually came up with a handful of names. Okay. Okay. And I have a handful of names I'm going to read off. And here's the thing. I'm throwing Rory. I'm throwing Matt Fitzpatrick. I'm throwing all those guys out. I don't think it's happening this week. I, th I think we're going to ride that train of the new young wave coming in the tour. And another one of these guys is going to come up and get that win. Okay. Who are you liking? Speak um, that truth. First of all, came very, came very close in the past. I think this is going to be finally potentially we get a breakthrough from Eric Cole. I love it. I love it. And listen, I already bet Eric Cole, so I can't make the same mistake as as last week and not bet him. I actually called on social media a couple of weeks ago. I've been feeling this for a long time. This is Eric Cole's event, not just because he came so close last year and lost out to Chris Kirk, but this just feels like a really good course for his game. I've always thought when he is going to win, it's going to be on one of the more difficult courses and not one of the birdie fest because his tee to green game is so good and he can putt. And also he grew up just 10 miles away from PGA national. He's very comfortable on Florida golf courses, very comfortable on this course. So it seems I really like that call out of Eric, of Eric Cole this week, Ross, who else you liking brother? We drop a little further down the list. This is going to be one of my outliers. We're not a new player, but a big new win plays this course really well. You and I have talked, talked about it off camera. I like Daniel Berger here with, with the bounce back after almost two years away from the game. I think this is a very good week for him to, to get up there and compete and have his name back at the top of the leaderboard where he's used to being. I think this could be one of those tournaments that rejuvenates this comeback. Okay, that's one of my boys as well. The guy who actually got me into golf gambling because the first golf bet I ever made, it was when golf came back from COVID. I placed a $25 wager on Daniel Berger at 40 to one. He ends up winning the Charles Schwab challenge. I take $1,000 and end up going to Las Vegas. And you mentioned it plays really good at PGA National. Another Florida guy, ball striking numbers were good out on the West Coast. The chipping and putting kind of eluded him, but he's back on Bermuda. Those are the green surfaces that he's most comfortable comfortable on. I like that play as well, Ross. After that, we're going to move a little further down the list. We're going to jump down to a 60 to one. I don't know why I've watched him play recently. For some reason I'm getting vibes out of it. I like someone from the middle of the pack, like D Doug Gim coming up. Okay, the Buffalo Grove, Illinois native, not too far from my neck of the woods. And he actually played really well at the Players' Championship last year, was in contention at the Waste Management Phoenix Open before kind of a ho-hum Sunday. I've saw, or I saw a lot of people really interested in Doug Gim last week at Mexico. Listen, he's kind of got the same odds that he did last week. I, I kind of like Doug Gim in this spot. I don't know if he's actually going to win, but I, I certainly could see him being in contention. I like that call as well. No, no lie. I like all these calls so far. Not just saying. And that. then I, I have, I have two, la I have two last ones. One 
bouncing back from an injury again, has been putting it together, getting in on a lot of exemptions be off of his injury, but making the best out of what he's been given. I'm getting more and more impressed every tournament that Mav McNeely plays. That's funny you say that. I bet him last week in Mexico really did, pardon my language, diddly shit until the final round when uh, he finally was able to make some putts. I, I kind of feel like, and I actually, funny enough, mentioned this to my group chat today. I bet on Maverick McNeely. I bet on Austin Eckroat, two guys who didn't play very all that didn't play all that good in Mexico until those final rounds. I kind of like their style again on this course. I don't know if I'm going to uh, uh, bet on either of them, but Maverick McNeely, man, I, I had seen enough at the Waste Management Phoenix Open to take a chance on him in Mexico. It didn't work out, but maybe could be riding that momentum from a six under Sunday, I want to say. So I do like that call as well. Maverick McNeely perked my ears going into this week. You got one more? I got one more, and I mean, this one's not a surprise. He's taken the last several weeks off, enjoyed his time, re refreshed his game. But once again, because we are fans, and he basically finishes in, the, it seems like, the top 10 to every event he plays to begin his PGA Tour career along with a win. Um, let's bring back uh, Matthew Pavon. Yeah, Matthew Pavon. Getting a little disrespected in the odds, I, I or at least when he opened this week. Um, you could still get him at 50 to one out there, 55 to one, maybe depending on where you're looking. Those are some pretty solid numbers for, uh, I'm, I'm looking right, right now we, we have at 50 to one. Yeah. I'm looking as well. I do like that call. Matthew Pavon so big. Now he can skip out on tiger's event. What a crazy world for Matthew Pavon, but playing really, really good golf ever since last September has just carried over that fire that he found there onto the PGA tour during his rookie season. It's crazy. The amount of rookies that we're getting, like playing some elite level golf right now, while a lot of the big guns just aren't at their best to kick off the new season. It has been rather intriguing, but as far as the guys that I'm interested in this week, Ross, I've only made two bets so far. I was a hundred percent going to bet Eric Cole, whatever the number was at when he opened, because I knew people were going to get, get on him and that number was going to get smashed down. I bet him at 33 to one. I also bet former champion here, Russell Henley at 28 to one, someone who plays really well on these shorter courses that have a lot of par fours, really good total driving stats, hits the fairway a lot, but hits it far enough that I think will benefit him on these courses. Feels like it always comes down to the putter for Russell Henley. And throughout his career on this track, he's gained strokes in five of his nine career starts and has a lot of high end finishes in addition to that win. So those were the two guys that I bet, but a lot of, uh, a lot of intrigue, like you said, in that middle range, JT Poston is just I just have a soft spot for JT Poston, and I've been feeling like the wind's been coming a long, long time for that guy. So a 33 to 1 is kind of interesting to me. Uh, I'm not going to bet this number, but Matthew Fitzpatrick opened this tournament at 30 to 1 because he just simply has not been playing good golf recently. But make no mistake about it, outside of Rory McElroy, Matthew Fitzpatrick is the best player in this field. And that seems like a really good number on him. I don't think I'm going to get there, but I did think that was a little intriguing. Uh, Shane Lowry is another guy who's played really well, not only on this course, but uh, during the Florida swing, Ross, before I talk about more guys, I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, Shane Lowry should have taken this thing down. Daniel Berger 
open Sunday with a six-shot lead. He ends up gagging that away. Shane Lowry has the lead down the stretch. Seb Straka goes and ends up taking it from him and finishes out. And then Shane Lowry, while he's playing the last two holes on this course, the last being the par 5 18th, he still has a chance to go and make birdie to tie the lead and force a playoff. It just absolutely starts downpouring out there. I don't know if you remember that by chance, but Mm -hmm. poor Shane Lowry uh, just got caught in the rain and I felt like it ended up costing him a victory there, but I think his odds are good this week. Do you remember that though? I do. And I don't know if you noticed your boy, if you're going to, if you're going to sprinkle something, I'd sprinkle soon because he's dropping quick. JT Poston's now down to 30 to one. Yeah, I know. Uh, uh, I was saying that that's the 30 that I've seen as well. DraftKings is offering a plus 300 boost. And if um, I, I probably want that 33 to one on JT posting, if I was going to bet him, but I appreciate the call out um, some other guys that have caught my attention. I, like I said, I've only made two bets so far, but Luke list 50 to one. I don't know if he's going to be able to putt like he did for those first three and a half rounds at Genesis. That's always the question with him, but we know the dude can absolutely strike the hell out of the ball. So he was interesting to me. Um, uh, one guy that I did think was rather intriguing and be honest with me, Ross, do you like his chances this week? Do you not like his chances this week? Christian Bezaden has been playing really well with his irons and the guy can absolutely roll the rock. Do you, you, you like Christian Bezaden call or nah, not feeling it for his number? Yes. Okay. I can live fall, with that. Fall, fall, falling in the 55. I'm I'm looking at fifty five to one right now. I mean he's he's matching he's matching guys like yes the field last week wasn't wasn't as top tier as we'd expect, but Bizayden who's going off at fifty five to one. Jake Knapp last week's winner is going off at sixty. Yeah, so I don't know if I'm gonna get there yet. Just curious as to your thoughts. Um, um what? One guy I do want to shout out here, though, real quick, because we talked about his number last week. He played solid in Mexico. He's basically at the same number again, and I could probably find him bigger. I don't know if this is a good course for him, but they're throwing out 110s on Robert McIntyre once again, man. And he's been striping the hell out of the ball. He just can't putt. That feels like a good number. That's a good number. And if you're intrigued by that, right back um... – Right back up there in a more intense field, they got Thunder Bear down up there again at a 60 to 1 2. Yeah, I saw that as well. I don't know if I'm going to get on Thunder Bear exactly. I've actually never bet on him in my life, and I don't know if it's going to start this week. I feel like I'd want to see a little bit more from him on the PGA Tour, but the way these DP Tour guys are doing so far this year, maybe that's a mistake. Maybe I should try to get on him early. But speaking of that, Ross, the last guy who has caught my intrigue, maybe the furthest down the board, um, I don't know if you're looking at DraftKings or wherever, but there's 150 out there on FanDuel for Sammy Valimaki. And I just thought that number was crazy. And I'm not comparing these two guys, but back in the fall, before you joined on tap, Ross, I hit Lucas. When Lucas Glover won at the Wyndham, he opened up going into the FedEx St. Jude, the first playoff event. After the win, he opened up at 125 to one. And I ended up hitting that number for a win. Sammy Valimaki opening at 150. Listen, I get it. Last week was Mexico. This is PGA National, a much more difficult course, a much stronger field, even if it is a little bit lackluster. I still feel like 150 to one's a good number on the guy. Yeah, I I I I found it disrespectful because I mean it, we you po- he posted a solo second literally three days ago. 
Yeah, the, and the, 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 the game looked good. He imploded. He imploded down the stretch. Overall, the game the game looked good, and I think he got a lot of confidence out of what happened last week. I certainly agree, and maybe we we won't see it right here, right now, and you usually don't. But those types of experiences usually wind up benefiting players later on down the road. So I feel like. Maybe it won't be this week. I'll probably still end up betting Sammy Valimaki, but I feel like there will be a time this year where he'll be a little bit more comfortable in those situations based on what we saw Sunday. That's the way I feel about it, at least. Absolutely. And I know we're approaching an hour and we probably need to wrap it up for our, our fans, but I wanted to end this episode with something fun. Okay. And that is on the count of three, we're both going to shout out who is someone absolutely we do not trust to touch with a 10-foot pole Ooh. this week. Okay, hold on. Let me let me scroll through this field list real quick. Okay. I have a feel, I, I have, have a, a I, I have a feeling we both might shout the same person and if we do that's going to be the funniest thing ever. All right, ready? Hit, a, hit the countdown. 1 two, three, Cameron, Cameron Young. Young. <laughs> <laughs> Watch him go and win just to rub it in our face. But no, I, I just can't, I just can't back Cam Young at 22 to one, man. And I'm not even someone who like bets Cam Young a ton. I have been guilty of it, but at, at 20, 22 to one odds, if he goes and wins this thing, that's one of those that I can live with, man. But I, I I just don't trust him for four rounds. I love his game. He hits the ball a long way. We know he can get hot with the putter. The approaches can be really good as well. We've seen it in major championships. I just don't trust him playing four rounds on this golf course right now with all the water and all the penalty. Um, and it feels like even when he's in contention, the putter kind of gets lost on Sunday when it matters most. So I I'm, yeah, I'm out on Cam Young. Yeah, I think Cam Young is probably one of the people on the tour that is this close to being a superstar at some point, but he just cannot put it all together. I mean, just uh, technically you could say he was a Ryder cup snub because he wasn't, he was in the top 10. Yeah. They ended up putting captain's picks ahead of him because he just wasn't consistent enough. So you could say he's right there on the verge of being one of those guys. The, the, the game is not consistent enough. There's not wins that, that he really needs to go out. And I'm not even saying win one. I need Cam Young to go out and win multiple events for me to truly turn a corner on him and put and solidify him up there in, in on the tour. Yeah. And it's a really big season for Cameron Young after people were super high on him going into last season. And no other way to put it. It was, it was pretty disappointing for him that he wasn't able to capture that first victory. So will he be able to get that done this year or is the pressure going to get on him? That's going to be something we're going to see throughout the rest of the season. Ross, you got anything else you want to do, uh, bring up cognizant related or not before we kind of wrap things up here, my man. Not really. I'm interested to have us monitor the internet and see, I don't know, maybe Hideki takes a bag. Maybe he sticks around i forgot about that we definitely should have talked a little bit more about that but yes hideki matsuyama uh from multiple sources and one of them being greg norman himself 
has said, they are going after Hideki Matsuyama right now. And dude, if I were Hideki, I'd do it. Why, why would he not do it at this point in time? Just won the Genesis opportunity to capitalize on that. You know, it's going to be an absolute bag because he commands all of Japan. He's a superstar over there. Why would Hideki not go? I had a hundred percent go if I was Hideki. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I think it's a no, a no brainer for him, especially he's got the major exemptions now. We yep. still, I mean, still because, because of the masters win, why, why, you know, you can still compete for majors. Why not go get your bag? I a hundred percent agree. Well, we'll definitely keep our eyes open for any Hideki updates. If something breaks, we'll be sure to break it all down here on on tap golf. And I think that's going to wrap up today's episode or golf on tap. I apologize at on tap golf is where you can go and find us on social media and make sure we are now on Apple podcasts and on Spotify. So Go and show us some support by subscribing to those 100% free wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it may be. You can find us there for all the latest episodes of Golf on Tap. We appreciate everyone tuning in for today's episode. It was a lot of fun as always, Ross. Uh, to everyone out there, we greatly appreciate it again, and we'll see you next time on Golf on Tap. Cheers, Ross. Good episode, buddy. Later, guys.